Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Coming to you still in lockdown, late April. The football seeming like a bit of a distant memory now since March 7th, since that trip to Sheffield United. But Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Dabbitt. And Chris Lakey, also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And we have got plenty to discuss. You will hopefully have checked it all out on Pinkin.com, the UDP and Evening News websites and the newspapers as well. Even if you can manage to pick up a copy in the, in the shops in your daily trip or whatever you're allowed. Uh, which was a chat with Norwich City's executive committee, Stuart Weber, Ben Kensel, Zoe Ward, getting the lowdown on the financial impact of the coronavirus shutdown on the club. Uh, we're going to talk about that at length. We'll also bring you a bit of the audio from that interview. Um, Stuart Webber, as as usual, very very talkative. He, uh, once he gets up ahead of steam, he certainly gets going. Um, we'll also take a look at Project Restart, which I'm sure you've heard plenty about. Uh, again, it's been on our websites in recent days, which is how the Premier League are looking at trying to restart in June. And we'll go over all the latest interviews and news that we've had for you recently. So, fellas, how are we doing, Paddy? Um, how, how's the garden looking? Yeah, yes. Oh, very, very appreciative of this rain we've got, Dave. I've, uh, it, before we moved in here, I, I, got, I can brutally say that uh, I wasn't a gardener. I wouldn't say I'm a gardener now, but I do realise the value of rain. Whereas before it'd be, oh, no, it's raining. I want to go out and do things. But now my first thought when I see a bit of precipitation is that's going to be good for the roses. So uh, our, t- our times change. But yeah, it needed it because we had a qu- quite a nice period there, didn't we, for a week, 10 days. But uh, as long as it stops for the weekend, hopefully. But uh, yeah, it's looking good. But of course, that precludes me from going out and doing any more keepy uppies. So uh, I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still stuck on 114 if anybody is remotely interested, which I'm sure they're not. That's pretty good going. Um, well, I've got a little tip for you, but I don't know if you both got Netflix, but... Um... Documentary yes. I've started watching uh, basketball, The Last Dance. Yeah, my brother-in-law that. mentioned that Chicago Bulls, is it? Yeah, yeah. the Bulls yeah, yeah. in the '90s, uh, NBA. Yeah. Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, <laughs> <laughs> Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, the, uh, yeah. the dynasty as uh, as they were known. That I've watched the first uh, three of them, and that's that's a really good watch, really well made. Uh, I'm oh, sorry, mate. I was just going to just cut across Lakers. Yeah, I've just finished last night the Maradona in Mexico on Netflix when he went into oh. uh, Sinaloa management position. It's basically the drug capital of Mexico, so you can make your own uh, conclusions <laughs> about that, given Maradona's past. But uh, he's basically just followed him around for two seasons, trying to get him into the first division in Mexico. And uh, yeah, it's, as as always with him in later life, it's quite entertaining. So I could recommend that as well if anybody wants to watch to do with football. Uh, He's put on a bit more timber from his playing days, it's safe to say. But yeah, it's a good good watch. So that's that's my recommendation for Netflix. I hadn't seen that. I'll have to, I'll have to dig that one out. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to? Well, I don't have a brown bin. I don't have much of a garden. The dump's closed, <laughs> so I don't even try any weeding. Um, but can, I don't also have... Um, I think I said about Netflix. Can, 
if you like your basketball, there is somewhere a documentary looking at the rivalry, the friendly rivalry between Magic Johnson and Larry Bird back in the day. And it is absolutely brilliant. If you can find it, it's superb. The guys themselves were brilliant. Um, but the, the video, the stuff they could do, Larry Bird was, apart from being a beast, was such a talent. Really, really good. But um, now I'm I'm sort of rehearsing, not rehearsing, still picking up every single last line from Only Fools and Horses. Dave channel for me. <laughs> <laughs> not Netflix. <laughs> Brilliant. You see, David Jason did a little video actually on social media, didn't he, where he um, was sort of explaining social distancing by saying, think of Trigger's Broom. If it's twice the length oh, of Trigger's yeah. Broom, and uh, that's, that's quite a sweet little yeah, video. Yeah, the new broom, yeah. He's, he's obviously getting on a bit now, isn't he, David Jason? But yeah, what, what, a, yeah. what a legend. Um, yeah. yeah, we finally got into Stranger Things on Netflix. That's um, that's a good watch as well. That's pretty uh, pretty jumpy, though. <laughs> Dave, Dave, we can't let you go. You said that's about my garden. As we just discovered prior to, you've got you've been quite busy yourself on your week off, mate. Tell us all about your garden, mate. Your yeah. developing garden, should I say? Yeah, well, we bought a new build place last year in our, our first place, so it's been uh, just a dust bowl ever since. Um, but um, we decided to use lockdown as a bit of an advantage to get stuck in. So, yeah, it was uh, wheelbarrowing a ton of soil into the back garden yesterday, which uh, in the rain, which is good fun. But I think my dad would probably approve of me doing some physical uh, labour. <laughs> which um obviously don't do too much of so um yeah we're we're getting there we're, we might have a lawn by the end of the summer so if we can get any silver linings out of the situation you've got yeah. to take them haven't you but um anyway uh let's uh let's crack on with the uh with the big stuff which was friday um and uh, it was myself and a couple of other the local media guys um chatting to Stuart Webber, Zoe Ward, Ben Kensel over a Zoom call and uh, the headline figure was a loss of between 18 and 35 million pounds is being planned for this season because um, that could become worse, could develop further if the season ends up getting cancelled and next season is delayed or whatever but obviously there's only so far you can go with that, that sort of uh, theoretical stuff. But essentially, the club were looking to emphasise the reason that they've taken advantage of the furloughing scheme, the government job retention scheme, as it is actually called. Uh, it's 200 off-field staff or non-playing staff who have been furloughed. So that does include some casual staff like stewards, uh, match day staff. Uh, so not everybody who's you know on a sort of full-time uh, sort of annual wage, I would imagine. Uh, but basically, they gave us a gave us the presentation which they'd given the players a few days before and uh, whatever you think of the uh, what the uh, presentation contained and uh, and what we've been able to bring to you uh, at least you can't accuse them of shying away from it can you pad they've they've sort of opened up once again that's been yeah. something they've always been keen to do and they've done their best to explain things to, to fans as they stand yeah absolutely and the key you point you make there apart from the actual nitty-gritty we're going to get into is is that openness that communication and engagement well that's that's the Weber era in a nutshell put me in mind of uh, we had a little piece with uh, the 23s coach David Wright he's done a, a, a webinar I think they call it coaching webinar um, which was on YouTube uh, last week uh, we had it on pinker.com uh, really insightful as a piece of content uh, from somebody who's actually involved at, at Colney um, but he made the point referring to the Weber era and, and what he's done that he said from day one, he came in and he didn't sugarcoat it. Did he, he told fans through us or through other channels, 
this is a very grave financial situation. This is the hole we're in. It's going to be a rough, rough and rocky ride for a few transfer windows. And that's how it came to pass. So in that spirit, the, the, the briefing that you, you were at there on Friday remotely uh, is entirely in keeping. You know, the figures are black and white. Nobody can say if you're a Norwich fan, you don't understand the, um, the gravity of the situation as this is an unfolding um, but obviously a lot of the, the figures we're going to get into are ranges of potential loss because fundamentally nobody still knows as we sit here today whether this season is coming back and if so, in what format. Um, so in that context, I think if I'm an Norwich fan, I'm thinking, well, yes, I now know, you know, because they have had a lot of uh, criticism outside the camp, maybe inside the camp in terms of some Norwich fans regarding the furloughing decision. But as they said in this very detailed briefing, I think that saved them in the region of about two, two and a half million, hasn't it, Dave? Yeah, they, well, yeah, they've made two and a half million in savings. So that's not just the furlough scheme. Um, they, they didn't put an exact figure on that, but I, I guess it's going to be six figures in some some form. Um, that is um, in, you know, there are some sort of natural savings because they're not operating as a business at the moment. You know, some bills uh, are lower um, the uh, other side of that is that they've agreed with HMRC to delay. They think it will be about £18 million in tax payments that would have been due. Uh, that's not just a football thing. I think that's a, a wider business that HMRC are, are making those sort of offers to try and keep people afloat, really, at the moment. So uh, that's that and PAYE. Um, but yeah, they've managed to make two, 2.5 million pretty quickly in, in savings. So basically, they're trying to get all their ducks in a row to um, make sure that they can ride this out. Just to put a little bit more meat on the bone, I should probably point out that we're not going to be able to go through all the figures uh, on the pod. Your, your best, if you really want to get into those, is to, to look at those stories, which are uh, on our websites from uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. There's quite a few different lines to come from it, which we'll go through. But they, they've got six home fixtures uh, remaining, five league and that FA Cup quarterfinal against Manchester United. So that works out to about if they're played behind closed doors, which if they are played, they almost certainly will be, is a loss of about 1.5 million a game. Uh, that's, you know, uh, revenue, um, advertising revenue, uh, the actual, you know, physical food and drink, things like that. So that's about 9 million. And then the broadcast element is the other side of things. Uh, they estimate that they would they'll they could have to pay back a rebate of between 10 million and 25 million uh, which would be the same for, for all premier league clubs but the uh, as with everything in football at the moment there's uncertainty because none of this stuff is 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 certain for instance um rebates to season ticket holders who aren't able to attend those five games or people who've already bought those tickets we don't know that the fans would would claim back that money some fans may say no you can keep that as as support for the club some will obviously say no i'm in financial hardship i need that money back so there's a lot of variance in there what we what we've got from the club i think here is essentially an overview um uh sort of a hint as to what what they're preparing for um and it's they can't put exact figures on it at the moment so for instance the furlough scheme they've had a bit of criticism uh, on that asked Stuart about deferrals and he said that they're not discussing deferrals at the moment but that is something that could still come further down the line because they don't know how hard this is going to hit them um so chris this just gives us a a really interesting insight doesn't it into not just norwich city's financial uh, impact but throughout the game you know there's a lot of clubs who are far 
worse prepared than Norwich City for this because Norwich don't have any external debt. Their finances are essentially in a stable position. They were they were forecast to make a £16 million profit for this financial year. So, yes, this is going to hit the club hard, particularly if relegation does follow as well. But throughout, well, the world of football, the coronavirus is going to reshape the game, essentially. Yeah, I think uh, when you say it's stable, yeah, it, no doubt they'd like it to be uh, better and they didn't really want this thrust upon them, but they're not alone. Now, a self-sufficient, the, the way that this executive uh, um, committee have acted is, um, I, I think, pretty decent. And the way they've turned the club around, more than decent. There are an awful lot of clubs who are hovering around the footballing poverty line. I have to say that because poverty line is, is something that is, is ingrained into this as well, but on a very different level. Um, a lot of clubs, sadly, I think, are going to go under because of this. Um, we saw one go under this season without the the help of COVID-19. We, we mm. saw Berry go. Now, Berry weren't alone. An awful lot of other clubs are living. I can't remember who said it um, recently. Somebody said it's not even month to month. It's, it's week to week some of these clubs are uh, surviving. And the further you go down the footballing ladder, the less the income is. Um, players earn a lot of money, you know, <laughs> considering what comes through the gates. Some of these, these budgets are, are quite amazing. You know, several thousand on lower league, not lower league clubs, non-league clubs. Um, the impact on them is going to be incredible. Um, you know, even clubs who uh, who might have featured in a playoff series, which is, I detest the playoffs, um, but clubs make an awful lot of money from the playoffs and that can sustain them for a couple of months. Without the playoffs, it's gone. You know, all that money's gone. All these games, it's gone. So, you know, the, the ones that survive week to week have nothing to survive on. Um, and they don't have staff to furlough, a lot of them. You know, there's a few people. But I think Norwich are in a position where they've got enough people with enough know-how to, to, to deal with this awful situation. Um, but further down, I think it's going to be terrible. I don't think we've even seen what the impact's going to be. When finally we get to a place where we're saying, right, football can start again, I think some clubs are going to say, we can't. And the, and the knock-on effect of that is going to go all the way down. You know, it's, uh, I, I deal a lot with Kingsley Town Football Club. Um, and the knock-on effect of what's happening above them, they'll feel. And clubs below them, you know, will all feel it. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, 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 sorry, I, again, like, I think what Norwich have done is, done is pretty decent. I can see why they want to furlough. I, I think as well, Norwich is, 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 is a model of how to run a football club and you know we we hear all about the the millionaires the billionaire foreign owners and it's not good for the game Norwich are doing the right thing and they're getting pilloried for it you know I feel really sorry for the staff who who aren't earning as much as they they normally would but to to not the football club at the moment I, I think is a bit harsh I think they're leading the way on how football clubs should be run you know rather than people who can come jump in and jump out and leave your club right in the duty, um, I, I think they're an example. But they're being pilloried for the way they're doing it. Yeah, no, I was just going to come cut across when you were talking about the scale on the wider game. Because Simon Jordan, who's never short of a, an opinion on TalkSport, mm. he reckons 
40 to 50 clubs could go in their current form. Yeah, I think. I think you could well be right. I think a lot of berries are about. You know, you you, you look at the stadiums some of these clubs play in, and the and the crowds, three thousand crowds to support what they do. It's 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 incredible. You know, that's uh, that's quite terrifying. I I do. I think this when we when we sort of come out of this, you know, uh, as a world, not just as as a sport, so many things will change, and football will just be another one that will change, and and. I can't see there being football as there is at the moment. The, the, what we start the season with, when we're back up and running, won't exist. It yeah, can't I, exist, you know? and I think what what you said there, like it's in terms of Norwich doing the right thing. Um, I mean, the one of the first Premier League clubs to come out, uh, probably the first Premier League club to come out with this extent of detail to lay it out, and that's because they are an unusual case, aren't they? And, there was a good line from um, Stuart, uh, one of many, um, when, of course, we saw Tottenham, Liverpool, Bournemouth all roll back their decisions, didn't they, to uh, furlough off-field staff uh, because they are very wealthy clubs with extremely wealthy uh, benefactors behind them, whereas Norwich just do not compare to a club like that. So he said, if it was right for us then, then it's right for us today. What's changed? We made that decision because it's right for our business. We're not changing just because of public reaction. Um, which those clubs sort of oh, bowed right. to, didn't they? And and those clubs probably bowed correctly because the pressure was hard on them. I don't feel like the, certainly within the, the, the local support base, the Norwich fans, I don't feel like the pressure has been that hard on the club. I feel like m- most Norwich fans understand the situation. But when you see the national stories, um, uh, which were sort of shorter versions of our uh, more in-depth stuff, um, saying, you know, the, the situation at Norwich, you've got fans from all other clubs saying ridiculous things, you know, saying this won't be forgotten, disgraceful. It's because they just, they, they say, well, Norwich got promoted to the Premier League. They got 200 million, haven't they? They're loaded. And that's just mm. not the reality of things. Mm. Um, I, I, so, I have seen some Norwich fans who are, uh, are upset at what their club yeah. is doing. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm not going to knock them because that is an opinion. This is, this is not really a black and white situation. Nah. It's a, it's a a question of morality, I suppose. Um, and, and uh, you know, if you disagree with it, fine. It's, it's your own view. Delia Smith, years ago, said she was a poor millionaire. And I, 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 that could easily be quite an offensive remark, but I know what she means. You know, clubs have millionaire owners. Delia may well be a millionaire, but it's not like she can just drop a million quid into Norwich City Football Club every week to help things along. Whereas you, if you own your own country, you probably can. Um, so you know they're doing it themselves. They're doing it in a, in a, to me, a quite a, a morally correct way of running a business. Um, the fact that they would have been showing a profit is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I probably should step in and just add the caveat, which doesn't really need saying, but I'll just say it anyway, is that this is all set against the far more serious health nature of coronavirus. Um, clearly. Yeah. Ten thousands of people have lost their lives in this country, far more than that around the world. But we are, of course, a football podcast. So um, just to just to emphasize that fact that we, we of course, are, are trying to uh, look at it from that point of view. We can't really put this into the global context, uh, which you all know. I'm sure you're all watching the news every day, as we all are, and, and seeing the the painful headlines that we're all having to 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 deal with. Um Paddy, the, another of the issues uh, which Stuart um, spoke about was contracts. He was pretty honest about that in terms of 
just not knowing whether Andre Duda will be a part of things if they're able to restart. So he was signed in January um, yeah. with the season due to end early May. But that shows the complexity of that contract situation, doesn't it? That Norwich's sporting director, as I spoke to him on Friday, couldn't say whether he knew whether one of his loanees was going to be available if they restart. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what we have here is almost uh, sort of sub-areas of the key decision. The key decision remains, as you rightly reaffirmed, you know, ultimately, this is about a public health scenario um, and government bodies and society as a whole feeling they're through the, the, the worst of it. Um, it doesn't feel like that at the moment, to be fair. But once that decision is made, then football seemingly would appear will restart in some form. And then you get into these um, offsets of that, which one of is, yeah, the contractual situation, because it's very difficult to see now the current normal contractual dates is the end of June. Very difficult to see that a resumption complete as date there we go Duda uh, I'll throw another one Luxembourg League is now gone same as, as Holland mm. and France where does Denal Sonani fit into the mix mm. now who's an actual their own player who's supposed to be joining them from July the 1st if hypothetically the Premier League games are continuing beyond July the 1st is Danel Sonani available the, these these are all sides of the same coin essentially Sean Raggett at Portsmouth his situation um, so really much as that call uh, made it clear that these are a ranges of financial pain in terms of what it could cost the club. Then it's the same thing. You can only hypothetically map out. Uh, we don't know where we are because ultimately nobody knows where. Duda's the example you quoted there, Dave. Where his situation will be mapped onto uh, a restart to a delayed football season. Um, what we do know is that Hertha have changed coaches now. He, he fell out of favour with Jürgen Klinsmann. That was what facilitated his move to England. Um, that's no longer the case. Hertha's sporting director, I think, has also said recently he has a future back there. So I, would, I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, when his original loan date ends, he goes back to Germany. And if Norwich was still playing after that point, I don't think he'd be available because ultimately... Like with any move, there'll be three parties involved in that decision. There'll be Hertha, Norwich and Duda. And if Duda feels he wants to go back, why wouldn't he? You know, if he feels he's got a, a fresh start at Hertha and his, his mind is on making an impact with the new coach there, with the greatest will in the world, why would he want to stay here at Norwich and, and you know, help uh, a club that he doesn't really have any tie to? So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if football does restart and it is beyond the end of his original loan that he's not available but again that's a hypothetical situation as is Sonani you know so uh, we can talk around it but ultimately you know with a lot of these uh, aspects whether it's the financial whether it's the contractual situation whether it's what actually happens to the summer transfer window it's all up in the air sadly and uh, we, we can only sort of put out potential ideas but nobody really knows and, and that was obviously underlined by Stuart Webber, who, who knows far more than we will do. Um, and if he's unable to give any real clarity, then it just underlines how complex the situation is and how fluid it is as well. It would be a very interesting situation were there to be playoffs um, after the summer, uh, before the next season starts. Do you use yeah. players from the 2019-20 season? Or yeah. do you use your new players? Because then you could get artificial strengthening. Um you know, uh, of, of squads to survive or to win playoffs. 
I mean, if you know a team flying in the championship, sign a, you know really make a huge investment, sign Maradona or his present day, not the Roly Poly one, um, but but sign you know a, a couple of great players just on six months contracts or year contracts. Boom, you're through the playoffs and in the Premier League. So, mm. you know, which which seasons players do you use? If if that were to be the scenario, maybe further down the leagues. Um, obviously, you know, the, God knows what we're going to put into this plan of, of re- rejuvenating this league. But you never know; there might be playoffs at the bottom. Okay, um, that's silenced well, you. That has completely silenced you more than the <laughs> half a top soil did. <laughs> Well, there's so much to get your head around. I think that's one thing you can say for, for fans trying to take all this in, isn't it? And I think the the, the impression from actually speaking to them, uh, there, there wasn't there wasn't really much in the way of panic there. They were they were pretty calm with with things um, and just trying to just trying to map things out as best they could, really. Um, and interestingly, on the Duda situation, in part of Stuart's quote, actually said, you know, what does the player want? Yeah. Um, you know, does he want to go back? So, you know, it's literally to the point where he's not been able to have that conversation with with uh, Andre Duda yet. Then it's certainly a, a strange old scenario. Um, right. I think this is probably the best time to bring in uh, a bit of audio from Mr. Weber. We can't. Uh, it was a lengthy chat, so we obviously can't bring you um, uh, all of it. But um, here is a, a little snippet of what they had to say. Where we're at with furloughing is um, we've obviously only furloughed members of staff who literally cannot work at this moment in time. So, like we say, we've got at least sort of fifty percent of the workforce still working um, in all you know lots of different areas across the club. Um, we we've taken this decision to protect our staff not only now but in the future. Um, so what we wouldn't want to do is, is have a situation where we don't furlough now um, and we don't know where this will go and what will happen and what the impacts will be after make staff redundant because we haven't done this now. Um, so it was really important for us to, to protect the staff at this moment in time and that's why we took the decision. I presume that the 18 to 35 million, are we best sort of treating that as worst case scenario in in the same way that you guys start your budgeting at the start of the season sort of planning for relegation um as a, a financial point so the 18 to 35 million sort of worst case scenario if rebates and things like that can't be sorted out with sky because there has been some reports in the nationals haven't there that sky might be willing to push that on in if they were to get you know more access to games next season for instance yeah there's a there's I mean, ultimately, we, we have to look at the worst-case scenario for a self-finance. Um, it's our duty as, um, as the executive committee to, to paint the worst picture to our board to ensure that we're, we're covering all, all different um, sort of variables that, we're, that are still up in the air. Um, let's be clear, it, it breaks down into two different areas here. You're talking about the, the club-controlled income that we've, that we've lost as a result of playing behind closed doors, and then you've got the very, very variable nature of what's happening with the broadcast piece. Now, the broadcast piece, we can't possibly um, really answer at the moment. We can take a best guess, which is what we've done. Um, but the club-controlled element to it, i.e. the 1.5 million per match, rolled into that is obviously season ticket, membership, 
uh, a corporate hospitality rebates for those games that would be um, for those customers and fans that have effectively bought them and have the right to come to the ground. Um, and that's all wrapped up into um, a kind of a per per match um, kind of cost rather than us going through itemising the different elements of three million to um, to rebate season ticket holders, for example. You know, I'd, ra- I'd rather we look at it on a match-by-match basis and uh, that's where we've got to the 1.5 million. Um, is it worst-case scenario? No, it's actually probably quite realistic. Um, but obviously, we'll do everything that we can to ensure that we mitigate that and uh, get that as low as possible. But the broadcast piece is the piece that we that no no club knows at the moment until we're, we're told more on the on the 1st of May or on the um, on the 15th. Yeah, in terms of um, wage deferrals and things like that, guys, um, is that something that's still being spoken about? I, I think people have got the message that obviously the players have committed quite a bit of money to charity in terms of your fund and the players together stuff, um, but are deferrals still being discussed? Well, they've never been discussed, to be honest. Um, right. So where, where we're at is, um, you know, obviously when the Premier League and their wisdom made the statement, um, three weeks ago, whenever it was, that, that just caused national panic as to, right, how much are everyone going to lose? We want to know. And, and it, you know, they become an obsession of almost, you know, put the footballers out on the street and they all have to have a sign on how much money they've given back. Um, at that point, we took a completely different approach. You know, we were in constant dialogue with our players, um, led by obviously Grant Hanley as, as club captain and, and Tim Closer, who's our PFA rep, um, and also the PFA to go, right, listen. Again, the only way we're going to come through this is we're going to have to all stick together. Of course, this is going to affect us all. So let, let's not sit here all deluded that um, we're all, you know, we're, we'll be all right. It's not going to, it's not going to affect us. Of course, it is. Um, so what we've done is we, you know, we've been in constant dialogue with the senior players, the players' agents, and the PFA um, and our staff, because you know, again, this is a collective. This isn't just about players or st- or just staff or or just certain people or whatever it's got to be a collective so you know we had a meeting this week with all of the players uh, all of the staff and the the sort of senior football staff should I say and um, and the PFA and you know to be honest we presented what you guys have seen this morning you know as to what the potential impact because what's important during these periods we believe as a free and, and, and the board above that is it's about education as well it's not just a case of sitting you know, opposite someone, albeit by a camera, you know, with a gun pointing to their head and backing people into corners. You know, it's about, well, we've also got, we've already got a lot of trust, but it's about building that trust. It's about being completely transparent and it's about being honest and it's about everyone treating each other like adults here. So, you know, we've, we've done that with our players um, so that they're fully aware of, you know, the economic uh, impact that this may cause. And we still say may cause because we still don't know. You know, we, we still, as we sit here today, we don't know when we're going to play football again. We don't know when the season's going to end. We don't know if there's going to be fans. It's not going to be fans. So it's very, very difficult at this point to go, right, we are definitely going to lose this, which means we need to reclaim X. So until that time comes and we get more clarity, you know, we won't be talking to, to uh, any of our players or staff about um, deferrals or cuts. However, once the picture becomes clear, there's going to be an amount of money which is lost. And, of course, we're going to have to talk to our players and staff around, right, what can we collectively do to try and uh, to try and fix this? Um, so will the conversation at, at some point turn towards deferrals? 
More than likely, yeah, because, you know, if you're looking at the landscape of where everything's going in the world, of course. But what we felt was important that, you know, fortunately we're not in a major rush from a cash flow point of view. Um, so we have got a little bit of time to, to really assess the situation, to really communicate properly. And, you know, I've got to say the players and the staff um, have been an absolute credit to the club at this period. You know, obviously in terms of the fund, um, that was an immediate reaction of, right, OK, we're seeing people on our own doorstep here struggling. What can we do to help? Right, well, let's let's just set this up. And, and the players together came up with the figure that we'd all give up. And then it was what we'd all give up, whether that's uh, Zoe Ben and I, Daniel, the board, or, or, the, or the players. It was a collective, right, we've agreed to this, so, let, so let's do this amount each. Yeah, fine, no problem, let's, let's do it. And, you know, and I think also there's a lot of stuff that the guys have been doing away from financially, uh, which isn't reported because what we're doing, what we're trying to avoid is every time someone does it, that we have one of you guys there or we go there and it's like, oh, look at us, you know, taking food around to this old lady or whatever. It's like, well, no, we, should, we want to be doing it for the right reasons. Now, some of it organically gets out there. Some people want to give some credit for that. Brilliant. No, no, we appreciate it. But it's about making it a bit more organic and a bit more, um, you know, doing it for the right reasons. But I think, yeah, they're going back to the players have been and the staff have been first class in understanding the situation. You know, we've built up over the years here a strong culture of togetherness, a, a strong culture and bond between the players, the club and the fans. Um, and they know that, and we all we all understand that, you know, difficult times are coming and, and we're going to have to try and protect our club and protect our community. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm sure them days will come of, of more sort of difficult discussions, but at the moment it's about educating and it's about, you know, finding out exactly what's going to happen before we, you know, when we know the damage, we can then start thinking about, right, how, how are we going to sort this out now? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Right, let's talk Project Restart then, chaps, which is the name which has emerged in the, the last few days. Uh, government involvement seemingly as well. The government seemed to be keen to get football back on well, TV screens at the very least. Um, we'll discuss the uh, motives behind that. Um, but the essentials are that May 7th is when we'll are uh, due to hear uh, whether lockdown measures can be relaxed from the government. May 15 is when there'll be a Premier League meeting to set out plans for a return to action. May 18th to June the 7th is when the it sort of scribbled in. This is as reported in the Nationals over the weekend uh, for players to return for essentially a, a three week mini pre-season. And then Monday, June the 8th to Monday, July 27th is when they're hoping to resume games behind closed doors. Um, the FA Cup ties would be completed during then. And then after a one week break, players would return for pre-season between August 3rd and August 31. 
Uh, what else have we got in there? Champions League and Europa League games would then be completed during uh, during August with the new Premier League season planned to kick off in late August. Uh, I think that's it. But the Champions League final would be at the end of August. So, yeah, it's getting, getting pretty complex there, isn't it? But, yeah, let's let's go back to that start. And, Chris, what do you make of sort of the government involvement in, in trying to get football back? <laughs> you really probably shouldn't ask me about the government, but there you go. <laughs> if you want me to rage against that machine, I will do. Um, you know, it's just, this is ridiculously hard. But I look out my window and I don't see how football can resume for a long long time no no it's 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 so hard and you know you just mentioned Stuart Webber not really knowing about the transfers and I sort of I I don't know how anybody can be predicting things when three four five hundred people are still dying in a space of 24 hours so you know we're going away from uh, sort of set dates and that but but there are a billion things to, to, to consider. I mean, you, you talk about playing behind closed doors. That's not what the sport of football was about. And no. I know it's changed over the years. Who are we satisfying? Are we satisfying bookmakers, broadcasters? Uh, you know, or are we just doing to, to settle a few issues here? Is there another way of doing it without putting people's lives at risk? How are the footballers feeling? Because if I were a footballer being sort of shoved... It, it does seem to me that having been criticised heavily about money just a few short weeks ago. Footballers are now being shoved to the forefront of this, saying, go on, you go out and and you'll be the sort of the test for us all. And once football goes back, then life is normal. And if I were a Norwich City footballer, I'd be thinking, I'm not sure I want to go out yet. And I I just got that horrible mad dogs and Englishmen feeling about this that we're running into something. Once a few figures go lower, we're suddenly saying it's all all right. And I don't find this very scientific, this. I, I think this is a bit of a litmus test, which I don't, I, I wouldn't want to be involved in. Um, David Hannon, one of our columnists, I reckon he's written a really good column about this, about playing behind closed doors. That's not what football league, football should be about. It is not playing behind closed doors. I understand that it, it provides a solution, because it gets matches out of the way. It's not what it's for. And, and you know, it's all very well saying it'll be on TV. Not behind closed doors. Have you ever watched a game behind closed doors game on TV? And that's not it's, how the first 29 games of the season were played either, were they? So absolutely. It's not fair. Things. And I, I do understand that there is a need to solve this football season. But it ain't the most pressing need in the world. Um, no. I, I, I've got to be honest. And it, it won't go down with fans of Liverpool, or well, it probably will actually. I, I, I think I like to see the uh, mathematical end to this season because you can't you can't annul results. That that's a, just a complete joke that you can't do that. I'd like to see it ended now, now for safety reasons. Mathematically, who finishes top? Liverpool. I mean, they deserve to be there, don't they? Norwich, frankly, deserve to be relegated. So, with a few games left, I don't think I think we've gone far enough into this season to say, look, let's do a points per game calculation and do promotion and relegation on that. I don't think you can possibly leave it because the finances dictate that Leeds United will go absolutely, you know what, if they're not promoted and yeah. Norwich stay up. And and I think that's fair to be honest with you. I, I'm I'm not the greatest supporter of Leeds United football club, but 
If I were one of their fans, I'd be saying, right, Premier League next season. And if I were a Norwich fan in my heart, I'd be saying, no, nah, we ought to go down. I think the balance for me is starting to tip in that direction, which I didn't didn't expect. But the just the complexity of making this happen just doesn't seem feasible to me. You know, we're all watching a lot of highlights videos and stuff at the moment, aren't we? And, you know, Monday was the one year anniversary of Norwich getting promoted, wasn't mm. it, against Blackburn? And you see all those celebrations and you've got, you know, t- yeah. 11, you know, 15, 20 sometimes men coming together, hugging, kissing, jumping around in just pure celebration. What are they going to do when they score a goal? Just, you know, air what, fives all around. Well done, chaps. Well, you Simeon can't even shake Jackson, hands. What was, the first, what was the first thing Simeon Jackson did when he completed his hat-trick against Derby? He Jumped ran the towards crowd. the snake pit. <laughs> but he ran towards the snake pit, didn't he? Yeah. You know, it, it was a response to supporters and, and the whole place, the roof lifted. Um to me, that is what it's all about. Behind closed doors doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. It solves the problem, but I don't, I don't think it's the right way of doing it. And also, again, nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, and I think we're really living dangerously as a country if we start saying, "Yeah, let's open this store so you can go and get a spanner or a, you know a bit of wallpaper or something or, or a, a thingy bob a tin of paint." That, 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 it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. Well, I, I, on that, I went to home base yesterday. Uh, there's a home base near us in Sprouse. You're ridiculous, and, David. <laughs> <laughs> and it, they were their their social distance and stuff was spot on. It was even better than Good. Tesco. They really have got it, you know, one way system, all mapped out really well. All the cashiers behind screens and stuff. It's so not. I, it's, it's not I, the stores that worry me. It's the people. Yeah, well, everyone seemed to be behaving themselves and being well, sensible. I, I think the, the problem with the lockdown is that if if people are going to stay sane, they need to be able to do things like do their garden and DIY, don't they? Because you can't do nothing. There's only so much you can watch TV and, and listen to podcasts and stuff, isn't there? So, but anyway, we're, we're sort of going off on a, on a bit of a tangent there. Um, and what you'd said about sort of... Uh, settling the season as it goes in Holland there's been an interesting example hasn't there because two I can't remember the two teams but they were battling for the last Europa League place Mm. and as the season has been cancelled as it is the team uh, above is uh, has played a game more the team below has played a game fewer as three points behind but has got a better goal difference so if they'd Mm. have won their game in hand they be if, in that Europa League yeah. position. So if, but the great beauty about football, of course, is we don't know what's going to happen. You yeah. Know, you know, Kings Lynn lost against the bottom club in one of the last few games. It, nobody thought that. They went up to Blythe and they won away. Nobody really thought that had happened. So you, the beauty of football is games in hand, whilst on that mathic, mathic, mathematical formula I prefer, actually, it still isn't that sound because it's all about the unpredictability. But, Pad, to add into all of this, I thought this is an interesting line which came out overnight. Uh, FIFA's chief doctor, Michael Douge, who has come out and basically, well, you know, he should be a pretty influential man in, in the decision making in all of this. Um, and he told uh, the BBC, so he's the chair of FIFA's medical committee, told BBC Sport, my proposal is if it is possible, avoid playing competitive football in the coming weeks. Try to be prepared for the start of good com- competition next season. So when you've got someone as senior as that talking about it, I mean, do you see it as possible, Pad, or is, is the balance starting to tip for you as well in, in the other direction? Yeah, I think it is, Dave, yeah. I mean, the start of the week, 
with all this project restart and if there was gov- if there was genuine government uh, drive to to get the get the games back on in some form then I, I tend to think that probably would happen but I think what's happened in the intervening period both in terms of football and our society I mean in football you as you say the French they've canned their top two divisions following suit with Holland um, by all accounts Germany possibly is now looking to go down that route uh, having sort of indicated that they possibly would like to get back. Um, and again, that's really linked to there's been a little spike in cases in Germany, I think. So you can't separate the public health element from the football element. But for me, less concerned about or less factoring in what somebody at FIFA would say. But if the individual leagues within Europe, uh, under UEFA's jurisdiction, if they now start following suit and you get Germany and Italy and Spain, and yeah. basically the Premier League are the last league standing, then we won't be back. There is no way whatsoever the Premier League will have to go alone. It's only going to come back if there's other leagues around Europe, big leagues around Europe, who actually resume. So I think now, the, putting the football to one side, it's cl- quite clear, Lake has touched on it earlier, the numbers, sadly, in this country, both hospitals and much more concerningly now, it seems, because it looks like it has flattened in terms of hospital deaths, sadly, although still a ridiculously high number, which underlines the the scale of this thing we're living through, unprecedented. But it, clearly the care home numbers, I think, are going to continue to go up and up and up. That's the great scandal now. And if we're still, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths away from getting through this, then in that context, how possibly can football return? We're only really discussing this, sadly, because it's the financial element. You know, it isn't about fans, really, per se, for me. It isn't about playing behind closed doors. is isn't about lifting the morale. That's the most stupid argument I've heard so far. <laughs> Lift the morale of the nation. Um, it's about the finance and it's about these rebate figures that clubs are possibly going to have to return to broadcasters. If it wasn't so much money involved, then I don't think it would even be continuing these debates. Football as life would not be getting back to any sense of normality and probably till, sadly, 2021. It's, um, it's an impossible situation. To be fair, um, I do I do have some sympathy for the people making these decisions because it's not easy. But the one thing you can say with the Premier League is they have huge resources, a huge amount of staff and legal experts to turn to. And they should, by this point, have had every scenario mapped out so that they can be leading the clubs exactly on this. And likewise for UEFA and FIFA, they should be, by this point, in a position where they can have very, very... Um, purposeful plans in place for how football is going to move forward um let's leave that discussion there i'm sure not for the last time sadly um but just to confirm before we move on um of course norwich have a huge amount of loan players um away from the club we discussed the the six players who were playing in the national league last week but now we can chalk off as players so melvin city was social in the second tier in france he is now set to become a norwich city player because they won't be finishing that season he, he now falls into that Sonali category, doesn't he? Could he potentially be available? You presume not, but um, he won't be playing, uh, concluding his season. Rocky Bashiri in Belgium with Century Odense, the same. Holland, we had two in the second tier. Charlie Gilmore at Telstar and Savas Morgus at Dordrecht. Um, so their seasons are all over with the National League boys. So that just leaves, I think there's eight players, but I'd be surprised if we saw much of them. The, the one who might do, I suppose, is Philip Heiser. 
Uh, we'll come on to him again a bit later because Paddy had a story on him, didn't you? But um, yeah. he's, he's with Nuremberg in uh, the second tier in Germany. Um, just finally for this uh, first part of the pod then, um, Todd Cantwell beaten by Lise Mousset in the EPL Invitational <laughs> on FIFA. Now, Pad, you did the story on this. I did watch it back and uh, Todd... In the oh, end, I, I bit, think bit you're being a bit, bit kind there. <laughs> Embarrassed, mate. Embarrassed. <laughs> he got a bit of a thrashing in the end. But beyond that, I thought it was terrible. You know, that compared to real football, there is absolutely no threat of e-football threatening real football anytime soon because I found the analysis and the commentary and things like that just painful. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I've, I can honestly say, show my age now, I've never played FIFA, but I feel I'm an expert now because I've watched plenty of it in this lockdown, mainly Cantwell. Because um, he's had that tournament. We had the original quarantine tournament put on by Leighton Orient. There's an FA one, which I believe he's, he's subsequently won with England players. I think he beat, um, was it Alexander Mason Arnold? Mount. Mason Mount and yeah. Madison. I think he hammered Madison in the semi final. Um, he's played individual matches on Norwich's Twitch account, one of their social media platforms, against the likes of Ben Godfrey, Max Ahrens. Um, yeah, and, and ultimately, I don't feel that. Uh, E-football is about to take over. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it wasn't. A bit a the not required. No, it wasn't. I mean, he kept saying, again, uh, that apparently they were playing on 85 levels, weren't they, for you, uh, FIFA uh, disciples? And uh, he seemed to be moaning that that wasn't the game he normally plays. So it sounded like an excuse to me because, obviously, Lee Smoussette was playing 85s and it didn't hurt, hurt him at all. So, And I think he then went on and got beat by Diogo Jota who went on and won the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is supposedly quite big uh, in terms of pro- professional e-gamers who make a living from it, but footballers playing FIFA, not for me. No, I don't think I'll be uh, I'll be going down uh, when we're allowed to go down to PC World again. I won't be going down there and getting a, a FIFA machine to play it. So, uh, But that's probably because of my age. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've played plenty. I, I sort of I'm that age where I grew up with it, you know. I, I got an N64 from a tenth birthday, or whatever, and was playing, you know, the first generation of proper um, it, listen, football Dave, games. It, that had it never got it never got better than Daily Thompson's The Catalan. Let's be brutally honest about it. That was, that was the peak. <laughs> it, well, that was the peak I, of gaming. The, I, I, I've spent many hours playing these games, and when I was at uni, you know, that's basically what me and my housemates did most of the time. And then we'd generally argue and fight over over it. And the idea is, uh, well, I did live with an Ipswich fan, so that you, you can imagine. Um, but the, the point of them is that they're fun. They're games, aren't they? They're things you do with your mates. So I have no issue with, obviously, Camwell or whoever playing these games. And if people want to watch them, that's, that's fine. But as I say, I don't think real football is going to be threatened by that because... Like when they were bouncing to the players and sort of trying to get immediate analysis, you know, Campbell, you just conceded a goal. So Todd, talk, talk us through what happened there. Yeah, and he, just he went to the floor and was like, you know, what do you want me to say? Yeah, I conceded a goal. <laughs> you see what I mean about not having supporters, you know, fans in the ground. Yeah. Rubbish. Yeah. So I don't but think uh, we'll be worrying too much about that. It's all fun I mean, and games. I mean, there's a novel, obviously, it's a novelty value at the minute because it is quite a quirky way of filling a potential void a football sized void but uh, moving forward you know we have all seen reports that football could be threatening proper football but I don't see that anytime soon definitely not 
absolutely not right um there's been a fair few bits and pieces going on still um a few interviews here and there um O'Neill Handers did a bit on the club's twitter account where he had to catch up Mario Brancic a bit of uh, media in Bosnia and Herzegovina he's uh, holed up in in Germany and, and was basically just talking about his um working on his fitness hoping that he can come back in in strong shape for Norwich and and you know Bosnia's Euro qualification playoff against Northern Ireland has been pushed back here. Well, will probably be pushed back a year. Who knows at this point? Um, so interesting to hear from that. And I think a few of the Norwich players are are over in Germany. Um, Tom Tribal, another one who's put something on. I think Dermich looks like he's in Switzerland, doesn't he? So um, there may be slightly different ones. But we mentioned Philip Heiser, Pad. Um, he has sort of opened the door, it seems, a little bit to a potential permanent exit. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, just on the lines, doesn't it? That- not as good as Norwich have been recruitment-wise, there's one or two deals that didn't really come off, and he's in that category. But all, with the caveat that it was, I think it was a free transfer, always a minimal amount to get him early out of his uh, Dinamo Dresden contract the January before last. Um, but he's played one appearance for the first team. That was at Crawley earlier in the season in the League Cup. Oh my word! Yeah, he's still got t- <laughs> t- two years left. Um, I mean. Weber, I do recall him telling me at Christmas that, you know, they felt that this move now to Nuremberg in this January could have then potentially, if they were back in the championship, they felt you could do them a job in the championship. So you wouldn't completely close the door, but it's it, it, given that he's openly talking about he'd like to maybe stay there permanently. Nuremberg's sporting director as well said they'd be happy to have him if they could uh, come to an arrangement with Norwich. So I, I would imagine that that's probably leading to a part in other ways whenever we get to a point where we know what's happening with this season and before the start of the next one and uh you know it's it's not a deal that's worked out for any party really has it so um you know as with James Husband for example similar part of the pitch as well um Marley Watkins Ben Marshall you know some of these players have come in and have not really been up to the required standard for where Norwich are going and so if there's a deal to be done I'm pretty sure that will get done in 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 the summer and um and then obviously in terms of where Norwich go with that then you look at it I mean they've got Lewis Aarons and Sam Byram uh probably unlikely to think all three of those would still be with Norwich moving into a, a new season whenever that is um, Sam so McCallum to come in isn't it of course yeah I forgot about that young man and that again is probably the key to why they don't need Heiser yeah exactly if they brought him in with a view to developing him in the way they did with Lewis, Aaron's Godfrey, Campwell, um, then yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think Sam McCallum arriving is basically uh, quite a clear signal that Philip Heiser, in Daniel and Stewart's view, is no longer uh, fit for purpose. So yeah, if he can get himself a move, all well and good. You forgot about Coventry's best player, Pad. Come on. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too many of you playing FIFA boys or watching FIFA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're addicted, the only mate. thing worse than playing it must be having to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. What, yeah, yeah. It's like, I've seen a lot of FIFA. Trust me, I've watched a lot of FIFA games in the last month, five weeks. You, never, you just never felt the need to go and pick up a joystick and give it a go. I just don't... I've got to be honest, again, coming at it from a very sort of uh, an educated viewpoint, I don't... It's not like I, I watch football and you can see that Emi Buendia is a very good footballer and, and in certain respects head and shoulders above other players on the pitch it just looks like bang average you know Jota is is obviously good at FIFA but when I watched his games I didn't think oh he's doing things with his controller that others aren't doing I just found it a very unedifying kind of watch 
No, they're no better no. than than your normal players. Where you would see the difference is is, is the professional football right. players. You can't even get the ball. Like they right. they just you know total. They know all the tricks. They know everything. It's the same as um, you know shooting games. Uh, if you play Call of Duty or something online. The yeah. professionals, they kill you before you even know they're there. So right. that, that's why I stopped playing online. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the fun of computer games is taking part. Like Chris just said, watching people playing computer games is rubbish. I always remember we had a family friend growing up, and me and my brother quite often would end up sort of getting dumped around there after school or whatever because our stepmom had to work late or whatever. And and he had a he had a computer, and he would say, uh, oh, let's play Need for Speed or whatever, and he would play Need for Speed, and we would watch. And <laughs> like, can we have a go now, or are we just gonna sit and watch? No. Is it like, like I say, it doesn't really work if you just watch it. But um, yeah, you mentioned Crawley there. You know, last week, Pad, we were lamenting that we would long for another away yeah. day. But I wouldn't I'm, want to revisit no. that away day no. ever. No, <laughs> you know? the, the journey more so than the game. When the game was bad enough, so that tells you how bad the journey was. You know, that round round the houses, sort of uh, not enough passable track on a dirt track for getting vehicles past. I mean, it was horrendous. Some of the Norwich fans didn't get there till half no, time, did they? No, I don't think um, so, no. So they missed the fun of Christoph Zimmerman um, getting uh, or hurting himself, uh, Tim Closer getting ruled out for the season, and just to bring it full circle, Philip Heiser's only competitive appearance for the club, yeah. which, you know, I don't want to judge the guy too harshly because that's the only proper game that I've seen. Like, you know, we saw him in pre season against lower levels where, you know, he looked like he could cross the ball. Certainly, he's got a good left foot, isn't he? But he reminded me a bit of Yannick Wildskirt. He had that build anyway, and he was barrel chested, but it was kind of head down. I'm just going to charge forward like yeah. an eight year old at school. and he had that bit of pace and then was just putting in the ball, but to nothing. And it was one of those performances that reminded me of, of a player who is just trying too hard to impress on his debut. And uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the uh, best nights. Uh, Chris, you had some nice stuff um, from Michael Spillane. Um, yeah. Mr. Rhoda keeps seeming to get a mention on the pod every week. So here, here we go again. Oh, I tell you what, the more you delve into former players of a certain era, the more you hear about Glenn Rhoda. Um, <laughs> We've got, we've actually got the point. We've got to be a little bit careful. Yeah, I mean, I remember, oh, I remember when Michael Spillane and Chris Martin were were referred to as Tweedledee and Tweedledum, um, and you can laugh about it. But if you're a professional footballer, as Michael Spillane said, that's going to stick, and it yeah. did. And it's 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 almost a, a, a built-in sort of key on your computer when you write about Michael Spillane. F two, insert Tweedledee, Tweedledum. And that's, that's terrible. I mean, Marcus Blaine had a decent football career. Chris Martin had a very, still has a very decent football career. Um, but that wasn't a good thing to say about them. And Daryl Russell had some stuff to say. Um, John Otzemabor had some amazing stuff to say in a piece <laughs> that Paddy did. Uh, which yeah. is online now. It, it was so revealing. But you know what? Um, I, I sort of quick repeat what I said before. I could have listened to Glenn Rhoda talk all day. He did have some interesting things to say, but I didn't have to play football for Glenn Rhoda and do as he told me to do. And I think for the footballers, um, it was difficult. When you've got senior players saying that sort of thing now, you'll notice footballers very rarely really don't go and diss each other. It doesn't happen, you know. Joey Barton might, uh, but that's Joey Barton's career. But, you know, basically, footballers don't don't slag off people because it doesn't help when they want the next job. I think that just about wraps it up. Apart from, um, 
there was a nice piece that Connor um, managed to get, which has taken a little while to pull together, isn't it? And um, Yoni de Blasi, uh, who um, fans will remember from the late nineties, um, that sort of influx of foreign players. And I just wanted to read um, the final few words of that, which I thought were were quite nice. Um, of course, you can find this on our um, website. Um, but I thought it was quite a sweet way to end. Um, I think we have to thank Cedric Anselan for helping us with uh, making this happen as well. Good old Cedric, who's a uh, top bloke, of course. Um, but the final lines were, uh, I'm not sure many supporters remember me, but thank you for asking the question in this sense. I want to show them deep respect and tell them thank you for pushing me, even when I was less efficient. I am marked for life by my passage in Norwich and a few minutes on the lawn of Carrow Road. Yeah. Come on, you yellows. Uh, which I thought was nice um, because he's someone that we we clearly didn't hear much about. Right. Um, as ever, you can hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And any uh, if you don't already subscribe, then please do. And any ratings or reviews on your chosen podcast platform are always very welcome. If you want to get in contact with us, then drop me an email at david.freezer at arch.co.uk or tweeters at pink. And Paddy, Chris, thank you very much. Cheers, thank Dave. you very no much worries, for well. listening. And we will catch up with you again very soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.